the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's on your heart and mind. All we need you to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Uh, if uh, you want to email a question to us, you can email questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And every day I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free uh, with the free KSLR mobile app. Let me get to the show, but before we start with some questions, let me ask you for some prayer. Um, you know, one of the great things about this program is the people that call in for prayer and, and, and how many people we get responses from who are praying for those prayer requests. Uh, well, I'm the one now that needs you to pray. Uh, my dear friend and brother in the Lord, uh, also a faithful elder in our church, Jory Smittick, was diagnosed yesterday with bone cancer. Uh, he and his wife, Lisa, and their grown children, um, uh, they, they all are going through a very tough time now, and we would, we would appreciate your prayers. Uh, we have Saturday morning prayer. Uh, I would just appreciate it with everybody. We've actually put a, a, a bulletin about it on, our, on the front page of our website. Uh, I would consider it a personal favor if you would write the name down, Jory, it's J-O-E-R-Y, Smittick, S-M-I-T-T-I-C-K. Uh, he's been in the church, he and his family, for a long time. We watched the kids grow up here, and um, this has happened very, very suddenly, uh, unexpectedly. Um, it's amazing how quickly it went from, I don't know, I'm in a little discomfort to this, uh, but we just need people to be praying. So please, 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 I pray for you and your prayer requests, and I'm asking you to return uh, in kind simply by praying for the Smittick family. Um, I love them with all of my heart, and uh, we can't wait for Jory to get well enough to come back to church. Thank you for that. I appreciate it very, very much. Okay, let's get to some questions while we are awaiting your phone calls. Uh, this first one is anonymous. Pastor on homeschooling, Christian school, or public school with a question mark. So I guess they're wanting me to say what I prefer. Um, you know, anonymous, this really isn't for me to say. These are decisions that parents need to make prayerfully. Um, I have always taken the opinion that public schools for people that are led to be there are okay. I can no longer do that. Um, I've changed my view in the last couple of years uh, just because of all the things that are being taught, the lies, uh, the anti-God stuff that's going on in public schools, sort of the brainwashing that's going on. And and I honestly don't believe, now again, I, I'm not saying this to make 
any homeschool or any, I'm sorry, public school parents uh, feel ashamed. And certainly for those of you who are believers who are teaching in the public school system, God bless you. Uh, you're Jesus's remnant there. And we need it. However, having said that, I simply can no longer um, recommend that any child goes to a public school that is going to force uh, ungodly standards on their children, uh, public schools that are going to steal the faith that parents work so hard to instill in their children. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs to train up a child in the way he should go or the way she should go, and in the end they will not depart. Um, um, we're, we're actually watching our faith um, stolen from the very children that we entrust to these teachers. So uh, anonymous public school for me now is a, a non-starter any longer. Uh, homeschooling, I have no problem with homeschooling at all. Um, uh, as long as the homeschooler, the parent who's doing it, uh, is a gifted teacher. I think one of the problems we have in, in wanting our kids to be safe and not wanting them to be exposed to ungodly concepts, I think uh, we've got, a, unfortunately, a whole lot of parents who are teaching who aren't gifted to teach and I think that creates so much stress and so much pressure and those of you who are homeschooling especially during this pandemic in the last 14 or 15 months um, you've seen uh, the, the pressure and the stress and you know what the, the, the toll that's taken on your family so I think this is a matter of gifting by the way tonight here at Calvary Chapel we're not having a, a Bible study we're having a, 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 an, what we call an afterglow it's an opportunity for the gifts of the spirit to move in our body and uh, let the body minister to itself I bring that up because it's wonderful to see gifts being used now, as that relates to the homeschooling, if you're not gifted to teach, you're putting so much pressure on you, you're putting pressure on your children, and typically it's just not going to work. So homeschooling is a wonderful option if, in fact, you're gifted to teach. And, and a lot of hard work won't replace the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So you can work as hard as possible, but if it's simply not something you're gifted to do, then it's better to find another alternative. And Anonymous, that leaves Christian school. Uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, we have a Christian school here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, it is uh, absolutely free. Um, we are in our 21st year. Uh, we have learned so much and have been blessed so much. Uh, in this school, but we've also seen the difficulties uh, of it as well. So uh, I think the socialization of kids being around other kids is important. I think having teachers in a Christian school, having teachers that are called by God to do the teaching, that means they're going to love the kids, and they've been given by God, by the Holy Spirit, the gifting to do their job faithfully. I think that is an absolute essential. A lot of Christian schools hire outside our school. We don't hire anybody that is from outside our church. Uh, God has blessed so many of our people with wonderful gifts, and God takes care of his family, so we we keep that inside. And uh, people, you know, they've come to the church over the years, and they've been shared the vision that God has given them and and we've brought them on but but only after they really get to know us and we really get to know them now obviously one of the problems with me recommending Christian schools is that Christian schools cost a lot of money and things are very tight and some of you can't afford uh, a quality Christian education um, I wish there were more churches doing what we're doing uh, I can't believe that we're the only church called by God to do this uh, for free, uh, and yet nobody else is doing it. So maybe uh, maybe God will start moving on other people's hearts. But, but I would favor of those choices that you gave me, uh, a Christian education in a Christian school. I think the socialization, as I said, is important. Um, we've just been abundantly blessed by the families that have entrusted their children to us. One of our problems is we have a small facility and, um, you know, for church and for school, we share it. And, um, you know, we, we would like, we have a, a long, long, long waiting list. We'd love to be able to have five times as many kids able to come to the school, but we just don't have the space. So 
mom, dad, whoever anonymous is, pray and ask the Lord to give you his heart on what to do. Here's a question from Pita. Um, she says, I know someone who is a believer but is involved with continuing sin. How should I approach her? I think, Pita, uh, you have some sort of relationship with this person. Uh, you know enough about her and her lifestyle. Um, but it's our responsibility. Now, nobody likes doing this, but it's our responsibility. If you care about somebody and they're living in continuous sin, whatever that sin is, then you've got to confront them on it. Not confront them by rebuking them or, or causing an argument, but simply saying to this person, I love you. And you claim to be a believer, but you're doing this. And the Bible says if you keep doing this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Christians can't continue to willfully sin. Uh, in order to do that, uh, you're going to risk the friendship. Uh, you're going to risk being called judgmental and harsh. Um, but, Peter, if you love this person enough, that's got to be okay with you. Jesus said we would be an offense to people. Not that we purposely try to offend. But he said that families even would be divided over those who stand with him and for him and those who will not. And if we love people, we've got to take risks. And I think the greatest thing that we can do, the most loving thing that we can do to somebody is tell them the truth. If you are living like this, 1 Corinthians 6 or Galatians chapter 5 says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. How can you claim to love Jesus when you're doing this instead? Now, Peter, I don't need any more explanation except to say this. Uh, this has been the one thing over the years that has caused an enormous amount of heartbreak. Uh, people get mad at me. People will leave the church. Uh, how dare you say I'm not a Christian? Um, but remember, we love them. And if you really love somebody, you've got to be able to risk that relationship to tell them the truth in love. That's what Jesus would have us do. That's what the Bible is full of examples of people that were called out for their sin. It's what we have to do. That doesn't make us legalists. It doesn't make us the Holy Spirit. What it does is demonstrate that we really love people enough to be sure that they're walking right with the Lord. Hope that helps you, Peter. Pray and and obviously keep praying for this person over and over and over. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question I've never been asked, and I have no idea why he would ask this. This is from Bruce. He says, "Do you have a doctorate degree?" Uh, the answer is no, Bruce. I do not have a doctorate degree. I don't know what else you're asking for there. So, no, I do not have a doctorate degree, and. Uh, um, at my age, I have no intention of getting one, nor do I feel like I need one. I know I'm called to be a pastor. I know that God has given me the gift to teach the Word. Um, I have been able to enjoy uh, the fruit of a ministry that God has given me, so I don't think a doctorate degree is going to help me at all. Now, I am not against doctorate degrees at all. It's just not something that God has called me to do. Here's a question from Albert. He says, I am a pastor, and there are times when ministry is exhausting physically and mentally. How do you deal with needing rest? Um, Albert, um, I have a high threshold for work. Um, I always have. Um, I did it in the secular world, and then I've been do it since I got saved. And I actually function better when I'm busy. Um, so uh, I, I might be a little different than you in that sense. But even still, there are times when ministry can be exhausting physically and emotionally. Uh, there are times, Paul, the apostle, read the times that he seemed to slip into depression. Uh, read about, uh, in Second Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, the, the, the experiences that he had, the times he was in prison, the times that he was shipwrecked, the times that he was beaten. And then as if to top it all off, he says, and, and in addition to all this, I face the pressure or the concern or care for all the churches that God has given me. It's something that never left him. And that's just something that you've got to understand comes with the territory of being a pastor. 
Uh, I once was um, going to a doctor, and uh, now I'm talking, this is 15 years ago or so, and and the doctor said, uh, are you under a lot of stress? And I said to the nurse, I said, no, I, I'm a pastor. I deal with other people's stress. But it can be stressful dealing with other people's stress as well. And Albert, for me personally, the most exhausting thing emotionally is the heartbreak that I deal with. The people who won't obey God, the people who, um, you know, they're all for you. And then when they need correction, they no longer like you. And you watch their lives spiraling out of control. It, it's, it's, it's an unbelievably painful thing. Uh, more difficult than I can communicate adequately. Uh, and yet that's why Paul said, the man who suffered depression in different periods of his life, he said, nonetheless, for the sake of Christ, I'm willing to spend and be spent. In other words, I'm going to spend when I have nothing left, I'm going to give more. So that's how we have to do it. Now, you ask, how do I deal with needing rest? I make sure I get rest. I'm not a, a busy social person in the sense that uh, we're always out doing things socially. Uh, I I make sure that I have the rest that I need to do what I do. Um, I don't, you know, weekends or people have a lot of stuff going. My weekends are work. So I, I need to get the rest that I, I get. I, I teach three Bible studies a week, three separate Bible studies a week, and that doesn't count a pastor's discipleship class. That doesn't count, of course, this radio show. Um, um, so uh, I, I just have to completely surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit over and over and over throughout the day. When I feel like I'm beginning to carry the burdens, when I feel like I'm beginning to stress out, I need to lay all of that down at the feet of Jesus and remember that the people don't belong to me, they belong to him. Uh, I need to remember that Jesus said I can do all things through him, through Christ who gives me strength. Um, I have to remember something that our egos don't like to hear, but, but apart from me, Jesus said you can do nothing. I have to remember that, that the only thing I can do in my own strength is is harm. And so I just need to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. Being in the presence of the Lord, you've heard me say it on this program over and over, Albert, just be with Jesus and there's a source of strength and joy that is available to you. You will get tired physically. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Uh, make sure physically you're healthy. Exercise. Uh, eat reasonably well. Um, but this is just something that you've got to find your own level of comfort in. But but you, you, you need to be sure that, that you're, you're walking in the power of God's Spirit. Final thought. Uh, Albert, you don't say anything in the question about your family. Um, for me, and I don't have kids at home, um, Paula is an unbelievable source of strength for me. Uh, she is, is a helper to me, my partner in everything that I do. Uh, and literally, um, she spends a great deal of her life trying to make my life easier. And I don't think I could do that. I've also got wonderful support here at the church. Um, my office manager, Annette, and, and Sam, who produces this radio program, to make sure that I get places I need. I've got a lot of people that help. And you can't do this alone. You can't do it alone. Delegate. Um, you know, indicate how large your church is or how much staff you have. Uh, but delegate, if you try to do everything yourself, it'll kill you. Um, reproduce yourself. Invest in the people that you're serving with so that they can take some of the burden that we who are pastors carry. I think it's really important. Uh, Albert, I've done some um, speaking to pastors groups, and we talk about these very things a lot. So, Albert, thanks for listening, and I appreciate very, very much what you're doing, your service for the Lord. Phones are quiet, 340-9585. Here is a question from Lee. Uh, Pastor Ron, where did Jesus go in the time between his death and resurrection? Uh, we know, Lee, the Apostles' Creed says he went to hell, descended into hell, hell being the realm of the dead that's not hell, the great 
uh, or the lake of fire. It's not that, and it's not, um, uh, you know, we we discuss whether or not hell exists, whether it's created. Uh, Jesus, when he spoke about hell, he spoke about it figuratively. Um, but he went, and you can read about it in Luke chapter 16, he preached a message of victory to the spirits um, who were in prison, uh, those who rejected Noah's message, and those who rejected um, similar messages throughout the centuries. Luke chapter 16, it's the abyss, or the abuso is the Greek word. Um, and Jesus descended there to declare victory. Now, he didn't go there to preach a message of, of redemption. He didn't, he didn't tell them there's a second chance. But he went down to the, the, the abyss to proclaim victory over sin and death. Um, we, we might look at it with, without the, the, the sort of the sinister motive. We might look at it as, and I told you so, um, those who are being held captive in this place of torment, um, they'll know that they had an opportunity and they rejected it of their own free will. Um, and while he preached that message to them, at the same time, he was setting the captives in paradise free. Now, you remember in Luke 16, there's two uh, compartments, one the, the place of torment and the other uh, a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And those who are being held in paradise, Jesus, you remember, said to the thief on the cross, one of the thieves on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, everybody who was there, Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. He proclaimed victory to those held captive in the place of torment. And he set the captives free and took them in the, the train of his robe, we're told poetically, uh, into the presence of God the Father. So that was the victory proclamation, and that's what the Apostles' Creed represents. So that's where he went uh, for at least part of that time, Lee. Thank you very much for the question. We are now inside about four minutes for this half of the program. Charles says, uh, do you have people on your board who disagree with you on doctrinal issues like a Calvinist or a post-tribber? He's talking about a post-tribulation rapture. Uh, guy or theory. And the answer, Charles, is no. Why would they do that? Amos 3 3 says, How can two walk together unless we agree to do so? And so uh, I don't want people going different directions. I don't want to send uh, via my leadership, I don't want to send mixed messages to the people in the church. I want them to get the consistent teaching of scriptures as we understand it. And I don't see any value at all in having people who are going to bring opposing doctrinal issues or teach different things and cause general confusion. So uh, I wouldn't expect a Calvinist to have an Armenian on his board. Um, I certainly wouldn't have somebody who thinks Jesus, uh, Jesus who said a wicked and lazy servant says my master delays is coming. I wouldn't want anybody like that on my leadership team. So no, the people on my board, and let me extend this to the pastors in our church. Um, these are men who I have watched grow up. Uh, we've raised them uh, in our church. Uh, we've, we've tested them. Paul says it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Uh, and so uh, we 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 give them opportunities to to demonstrate that they're faithful, faithful to God, faithful to the calling God has given, faithful to us here as a church. I need to know that these uh, men are going to love the people the way I need them to be loved. If they're going to represent first Christ well, and then represent me well, and so we are together doctrinally. We are together as brothers uh, in the Lord. Uh, and so uh, that, that goes both for my staff uh, and also for those on my board, my elder board. My board is made up of, of people in the church, and we've been together for a very, very long time. And I have been abundantly blessed by the godliness of those men. So, um, Charles, it makes no sense to have somebody uh, who is not like-minded and like-hearted. Uh, somebody who isn't with you heart and soul. So, uh, no, I would never have somebody on my board who disagrees with me on doctrinal issues. Uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, we are known for 
specific doctrinal positions. I never set out to be a Calvary Chapel. I just found out after studying my Bible that that's who I was. Uh, the distinctives about who we are, uh, our mission and our calling. And so uh, I just don't see any value at all. Now, I want to say this clearly. That doesn't mean people that disagree with the doctrinal issues we take, it doesn't mean that they're not Christians. It doesn't mean that we don't love them. It doesn't mean that there would be times when we could serve beside churches who have different positions on things. We can do all those things. But when we were family, and uh, that's what church is supposed to be, and uh, as a family, you want harmony. We're all singing the same song. I think that's really important. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, people trying to harmonize who really couldn't harmonize. I mean, that gets noisy. It's just cacophony. Um, We want people walking together making beautiful music for Jesus with the same heart. So, Charles, hope that helps. We've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'd love your calls. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh we begin our final 30 minutes of the week here's a question to our email inbox from nacho uh pastor ron since you pointed out that joseph is a is representation of jesus in the old testament in Genesis 45, is Benjamin a picture of Christianity and the church today as Joseph gave him so many more gifts than he did to his other ten brothers? The church received the Holy Spirit and Israel did not. Uh, not sure. I think that's probably a little bit of stretch in the typology. And that's what, uh, when you'd say representing or representation of Jesus. Uh, Joseph is the most um, uh, typical a character study of Jesus in our entire Bibles. And I'm having a blast teaching out of the last chapters of Genesis. But Joseph is a type of Christ in that he reconciled with his brothers. He reconciled with, and this is just a, a, a bare bone sketch of, of Jesus's or Joseph's type. Uh, he reconciled with his brothers, even though his brothers hated him, even though his brothers tried to kill him, and even though he suffered a great deal, because of the actions of his brothers, uh, Jesus reconciled and brought the family back together. Uh, in looking at Benjamin, this is a, a family reunion, and actually, in our next two studies, Nacho, uh, we're gonna we're gonna see that Benjamin and Joseph's reconciliation, and then Jacob and Joseph's um, um, dramatic and poignant reunion is a picture of a far greater reunion that happened in heaven. Um, I'll, I'll sort of tip my hand here. When Jesus walked this earth and the Father kept saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine what that moment was like when Jesus returned to his Father? Can you imagine... Um, you know, if you're old enough to have kids, you're a proud dad. You know, you love your kids and you brag on your kids. Can you imagine how proud the father was for Jesus' obedience and for doing the work that he was sent here to do? So um, Joseph is a type of Christ. Um, Benjamin is a picture of, I think, the life of Romans chapter 8. Uh, walking in the fullness of the Spirit, enjoying the the, the fullness of God's promises. Um, so that's the picture that's being painted uh, in Genesis at the late stages of Joseph. And it's going to get even better when when Joseph announces in chapter 50 uh, that um, God was behind all of this. What you intended to hurt me, what you intended for evil, God used for good. Thank you, Nacho. Appreciate the question. Here is a question from Beverly. 
Ooh, I like this question, Beverly. She says, in praying, should we spend more time talking or listening? My answer is yes. <laughs> pray a lot. You know, when Paul says that we're to pray without ceasing, and and obviously, literally, doesn't mean that we're praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But um, uh, Paul, um, if you read his prayer lists, the, 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 the churches that he founded, the people, that he'd fallen in love with the people who helped him, even even at times the people who opposed his ministry. Well, Paul had quite the impressive prayer list. So Paul, when he was on the move from one place to another, he would always be praying. Uh, read his prayers, um, chapter one, chapter three of Ephesians, and in Colossians chapter one. Uh, read that prayer. Uh, th- those are wonderful ways to pray. But but I also think Beverly. That praying, we can, with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. We can intercede for others, and and certainly we ought to do that. Um, But I also believe strongly that not enough of us take the time to be quiet and listen for the Lord to answer us. There's a lot of noise in this world, spiritual world. There's a lot of noise. You know, I'm not a a guy that can sit still in a room and just pray. Uh, I need to be out moving. I, I love to to walk with Jesus, and and I just carry on a conversation with Him. But for me, a lot of that time is spent. Jesus, what about me? And what about today? Jesus, I need to hear. I need direction. Today was an example. My heart has been so burdened, so burdened with this. Um, crisis that the, the jory and lisa are in and um just my my heart broken so deeply um you know i'm spending so much time praying for him i i told paula when we were praying this morning i said you know i feel like a one-string guitar all i can think about is praying for jory but i want to stop and take some time to listen lord how can i help minister to them what can we do to help and I want to hear any prompting that the Holy Spirit has. So, Beverly, the answer yes. Talk to the Lord, but listen for him as well. James says, Lord's half-brother, um, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Um, you know, the old cliché, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Maybe you ought to use the ears twice as much as you use the mouth. Uh, I I think in praying, we just need to spend time really listening for the Lord. Let me also say this, Beverly. In listening for the Lord, we have to be really careful. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 4, the first verse, he says that we've got to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. And when we try to just quiet down, all that noise comes from the outside and the enemy is going to lie. And sometimes the enemy sounds a whole lot like the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so you've got to test it against Scripture. And I have found that the best listening comes when I'm actually in the Word of God. As the Lord speaking to me, as Paul is reading to me, or before my eyes were so bad, when, when I'd be reading, I'd, I'd always want to have a Bible there. I, I still today, I like to go. I've got an iPad that's set up with big letters, and I've got goggles that I can wear. But before I go out in the streets and pray, I want to be in the Word. And I say, Lord, speak to my heart. You know where I am. You know what I need. You know what's going to happen today. So prepare me for the day. Whatever it is I need to hear I need to know is from you. And as long as you know the word, Beverly, then you're not going to be deceived by an enemy who wants to mislead you. So, yes, talk, pray, or as you pray, just just conversation with Jesus. Uh, But listen for him as well. Give him time. Slow things down enough that you can really listen for that small voice of the Lord. Thank you for the question, Beverly, a good one. Marvin says, uh, Pastor Ron, I am interested to hear what you think is the greatest danger to the church today. Um, you know, Marvin, strange, I get this question fairly frequently. Um, and, and I think the greatest danger to the church today is... Um, a spiritual laziness, 
I think we live in such a prosperous um, time and in a part of the world where we don't really have enough need. And I think we don't do well when we don't have enough need. We don't stay close to Jesus. So I think all of those things um, come into play. I think the, 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 the illiteracy, the biblical illiteracy of, of Christians, imagine in a, a country where we're the most free to open our Bibles, to serve the Lord. Now, things are changing, but, but, but we still have the ability to really dig into the Word, and we don't know it. We don't know what it says. I can't tell you how many Christians, Marvin, still believe that in the Bible it says God helps those who help themselves. Or Christians who will say to me, but, but Pastor Ron, God wants me to be happy. That's not in the Bible. So I think Bible illiteracy is a huge threat to the church. I also believe, Marvin, that there are far too many churches who have decided uh, to pander to the lowest common denominator when it comes to the study and the teaching of the Bible. Um, we got seeker churches that don't want to offend anybody, want people to feel good. We've got pastors that tell a lot of stories and and our worship is, has in many cases ceased to be worship at all. Instead, it becomes uh, more entertainment. Uh, and I, I believe with all of my heart that um, we're going to pay a price for that. Uh, I think we see our children suffering because youth groups for so many years have been cool places to be instead of places to open the Bible and study it. Uh, and so I think all those things are danger. But let me say this too, Marvin. Um, we're living in the time today, right here in the United States. It's still not as bad here as it is in some places. But we're living in the end times and we're beginning to see what... Uh, Paul writes to the churches in Thessalonica is the the the, the falling away, the, the great apostasy. And we're falling away. Uh, we, we, we now can find um, professing Christian churches that no longer believe in the, er- in the inerrancy or the infallibility of the Word of God. Um, we, we've got churches representing, misrepresenting actually the Bible as a, as a book of suggestions or a book of principles, but you can't take it literally. I had a question yesterday, uh, or not yesterday, but Wednesday, about whether or not Genesis, um, the, the first chapters of Genesis should be taken literally or allegorically. And, and you know, I, I think we have begun this process of falling away, which is the immediate precursor to the rapture of the church. So all of these things, Marvin, um, I think persecution um, right now, um, we see churches falling away because the world um, persecutes, is offended by churches that view sexuality, human sexuality, from God's perspective. And, and they've allowed persecution, they've allowed sort of the, the wisdom of this world to uh, influence us more than the Word because we're biblically lazy. So I think all of those things are equal dangers to the church today. And none of these things should surprise us because this is what we're told the last days will be like. So Marvin, for you, for me, for the people listening to this program, the only thing we can do is make sure that we're rightly representing Jesus and that we're being the church. It's not just going to church, but we're being the church. And I think persecution... I'm certain there's more of it coming. And I think persecution in a healthy dose is going to cause a lot of Christians to hold on a lot more tightly to Jesus. Because we need to. I, I think, as I said earlier, we, we don't do well when things are going well. We think we got this. We think we don't need Jesus anymore. He's our ticket to heaven, but I can do this on my own. And I think all of those things, Marvis, Marvin, at least to me, are equal um, in terms of their danger that is uh, represented to the, the Christian church. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Imagine how difficult it was for the early church when families disowned them. That's why they were all together and they had everything in common because they had no place else to go. The church became their family. One of the very best things about our church here at Calvary Chapel is that this truly is a family. Uh, I've got people in the church that call Paula Mama Paula, and they're almost as old as she is. Paula's out today. Uh, now she's there. She's back home. I'm now sure now listening to the radio program. Uh, but Paula's out today with um, um, some ladies that she, um, they go out to lunch. They talk about the Lord uh, as often as they they get the opportunity to do it. And they're family. They're like sisters. And that's the way the church is supposed to be. I've got young men around here. Now, to, to me, everybody's young. But I've got young men around here who are like my sons in the faith. And that's the way church is supposed to be because we know that out in the world where people have rejected Jesus, things are going to be difficult. We have to toughen up, Marvin. Here is a question from Kent. What advice do you have for young pastors with families regarding balancing time, etc.? Um, Kent, uh, you know, I've got a, a lot of young, younger pastors uh, here with families, some of them with large families. And um, I, I'll tell you what I tell them. Um, you cannot be successful as a pastor if you're not successful as a husband and a father. It's that simple. So your family is a priority. Now, it's not the priority. Jesus is the priority. But you have to be partners with your family. They're partnered simply by virtue of being related to you. They're partners in the ministry. Um, your kids are going to miss some things with their dad because emergencies happen. Uh, however, that needs to be exception rather than the rule. Uh, when when uh, our pastors with with kids... Um, the kids have special things, ball games or speeches to give or awards they're going to receive. Uh, I want my pastors with their families. Uh, I want them to have the time uh, during the week to sit down with their families and do family devotions. Uh, I want husbands and wives to take time together to read. So I think if you've, if, if you're spending the time, say in the morning, with you and your family, uh, first with your kids. Of course, your wife would be there as well. And uh, getting them ready to go to school or wherever it is they go. Uh, beforehand, then you're going to talk about Jesus. You're going to share your heart with them. They're going to know Dad loves Jesus, and they're going to know about Dad's Jesus. But I also think there's some time when you've got to sit down, just you and your wife, pray together, read together, let God knit your hearts together because then there's no competition. There's no jealousy. Uh, I've shared before in the program, uh, Kent, that uh, I was a workaholic before I got saved. And Paula just thought, okay, now he's a pastor. He's just going to be a workaholic for Jesus, but I'm going to get left behind. Uh, the Lord's made it clear to me that if Paula feels left behind, then I'm no longer doing my job as her husband, but I'm also no longer qualified to pastor this church. God will provide the time, but you've got to be sure that your family knows they're loved and they have your time and attention. Make no mistake, it's a lot harder for people with young families than it is for somebody like me, uh, but but even just when it's just me and Paula, um, we've got to be on the same page. And our commitment is first to Jesus. Uh, our commitment is to our calling, but it's not my calling; it's our calling. Uh, and and things have worked out pretty well. I find that if I do the important things first, then God makes sure I have enough time to do what I need to do. Uh, what one other piece of counsel, Kent? Um, I'm an organized person, and uh, I like to work ahead. I don't like stress or pressure. 
Um, I had something happen Wednesday with the study. I messed something up and got the wrong study. And I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for Wednesday night study. I hated that. I absolutely hated that. So I'm an organized person. I like to work ahead. And, and there are things that we can do by disciplining ourselves and managing our time well. There are things that we can do that will sort of take some of the pressure off. So Kent, I hope that helps. Kent, just if you're interested, um, I have a pastor's discipleship class here every other Saturday uh, from 1030 to 1230. You're more than welcome to, to stop by the church and, and sit in. Um, it's husbands and wives. We talk about these kinds of issues. Um, it's a pretty big class. We've got probably 60 or 70 people that come to the class. Uh, and I've been doing this the whole time that we've been here in San Antonio. And it's the single most productive thing that I've done with my time, raising up other people, like-minded, like-hearted men and women. And the, the result is I've got a wonderful core group, not just pastors, but but people who are doing the work of of, of deacons, all of my elders, all of my pastors, and 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 the core group that we have here that's that's always at work doing what I need them to do uh, when the church is open. Um, I got a really good solid group uh, who I know is tending to the flock that Jesus has given me. Thank you for the question, Kent. God bless you. Rose said. Why is there so much disagreement when it comes to women preaching in the church? Rhodes, there's disagreement because people either don't read their Bibles or they don't care what their Bibles say. I said, simple. I said over and over to our church and, and even on this program, as a Christian, it's our responsibility to agree with our Christ. It's that simple. And he wrote that I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. It can't be any more clear than that. And yet the truth is, is that people just don't care. They want what they want. And here's the thing where pride and ego, um, well, I just don't think it's fair. Every woman that says, I don't think it's fair that God doesn't want women to preach. Every woman is grumbling against God. They're calling God unfair. Can you imagine that? And so the disagreement is because they have been won over by the world that we live in where equal rights and equal opportunity is so important. Well, evidently, at least in the church, the church that Jesus is the head of, it's not that important to Jesus. He says, I give everybody gifts. Use your gifts for my glory. Use your gifts in a way that rightly represent me and abundant, fruitful life will result. And I think too many of us, we want the one thing God says we can't do, and that demonstrates that we are not content and that we do have grumbling spirits, a grumbling nature. And so we've, we've just got to decide, Rose, that we're going to agree to agree with God. And, you know, uh, I have heard the best arguments out there, both in person and online. You can find all kinds of things. If you'll Google this, you'll be led to blogs and information, and people will give you all the reasons why this is this and this is that. The truth is, every single time a woman stands before men in a church in a role of a pastor, she is being disobedient because she doesn't care what God says. And the fact that there are men now in the progressive church, which isn't a church at all, or 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 many um, uh, churches that that really aren't focused on the Word of God, there's no argument they can make. They cannot exegete First Timothy 2.12 out of existence. So that's why there's that much disagreement. Okay, we got three minutes left in the week. No calls today. That's distressing. Uh, Larry wants to know, what is the difference between elders and pastors in the New Testament? Larry, uh, in the New Testament, there is no difference. Uh, when Paul is talking about appoint elders in the churches, uh, the word is literally overseers, and he's talking about the the, the office of uh, that we now call in 2021. We call that the office of pastor. So there's no difference at all. Now we have made a distinction uh, in our church culture because um, you know in order to be incorporated. Uh, in order to be able to give people tax breaks for the money that they give, 
um, in order to to take advantage of of uh, tax exempt status that churches have, we have to have a board, and we call them at least here at Calvary Chapel we call it our elder board. So we have something we call elders, and those are just men who are in church leadership. They're kind of like a board of directors. Um, but biblically, when you're looking at the New Testament, whenever you see appoint elders, uh, especially in the the pastoral epistles. Um, those are referring to the the office that we call pastors in the church. The qualifications are for them, but but fundamentally, at least from the New Testament perspective, there's no difference at all. Here's the last question for today from David B. David says, is it necessary to read and understand Hebrew and Greek to find the deep meanings of the Bible? No, David, I don't doubt that it would help. I, I do not... Uh, speak Greek or Hebrew. I don't understand well. But one of the great things about technology uh, is we've had giants of our faith go before us with tools that allow us to benefit from their work. So it isn't necessary to uh, read Greek to know what the New Testament says. We got wonderfully faithful translations. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, a book, uh, uh, Word Pictures, A.T. Robertson's Word Pictures, um, uh, Greek Word Pictures in the New Testament. Uh, we've all got uh, concordances and Bible dictionaries. So um, our English translations are enough. Uh, the same thing is true in the Old Testament. Uh, our English translations are solid. So while it might help to have a, a, a working understanding of language, it certainly isn't necessary at all. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Tonight, we've got a, an afterglow here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Pray for us. We're expecting the Lord's Spirit to fall upon us and move. Give us some directions. Please keep Jory and Lisa Smittick and the family in your prayers. May God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well,